0: Hey y'all! Welcome to the fourth episode of Deeply Southern, the podcast where we talk about the legends, history, and folklore of the Deep South and beyond. My name is Skylar. I myself am deeply Southern, and storytelling is a large part of our lifestyle down here. Somewhere amongst the Spanish moss that hangs from old oaks and the honeysuckle breeze that blows through them is a world with stories unknown by many and truly appreciated by less. Well, I am to change that, and I sure am glad y'all decided to join me. In previous episodes, I've taken y'all to some dark places, with stories that stretch across the realm of non-fiction, as well as those that leave the validity of their claims to your imagination. I figure it's about time we get into some real, undeniable history, and who knows, maybe that includes a couple ghost stories as well. Today... We're gonna start part one of a multi-part mini-series where we talk about one of my favorite places in the world, the Golden Isles of Georgia. Golden Isles is a name fondly given to a stretch of the coast between Savannah, Georgia and Jacksonville, Florida. It contains St. Simons Island, Sea Island, Jekyll Island, and Little St. Simons, as well as the mainland city of Brunswick. Visiting there today, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything to suggest any negative encounters have ever happened. But where there is light, no matter how golden, there will always be shadows close behind. Considered a tourist destination, those islands and mainland area are home to some of the most beautiful marshes you'll ever lay eyes on. They're covered in breathtaking views, historical landmarks, and southern hospitality. In its history, however, this land is coated in the blood, sweat, and tears of many. When the coastline has been stomped on by pirates and soldiers, become home to the most exclusive private club in the world at its time, and the site of a mass suicide, there's sure to be some spirits lurking around. There's so much to cover about this incredible corner of the U.S. that I had no choice but to split it up into multiple episodes anything less would be a disservice to its history so today let's start our journey through the golden isles on the mainland in the city of brunswick the macoma were the native american tribe that originally inhabited the area that is currently known as southeastern georgia and northeastern florida in 1568 the spanish began missions through their villages unfortunately during this time much of the population was depleted due to enslavement and disease Remnants of this chieftain retreated south to what is now known as St. Augustine, Florida. The province of Carolina was established in 1663, and the British claimed all of the southern lands beneath it. However, colonization didn't occur south of the Otamaha River, because the Spanish also claimed this land. Seventy years later, the province of Georgia was founded in 1733, and three years after that. James Oglethorpe built the town of Frederica on nearby St. Simon's Island to challenge Spanish claims to the land. The area saw its first European settler in 1738 when a Scotsman by the name of Mark Carr established a thousand-acre tobacco plantation along the Turtle River. Although British victories in the Battles of Bloody Marsh and Gully Hole Creek were driving out Spaniards from the area, their threat wasn't officially extinguished until the Treaty of Paris of 1763, where all lands south of the Savannah River and north of the St. Mary's River were officially designated as Georgia. At the same time, the descendants of the Macoma that originally inhabited the area were among the 89 indigenous groups evacuated to Cuba with the Spanish province of georgia purchased cars land in 1771 and laid out the town of brunswick in a grid plan akin to that of oglethorpe city of savannah including large public squares the town got its name from brunswick lundberg in germany the ancestral home of king george ii this original city of brunswick was a rectangular tract of land consisting of 383 and a half acres and the first plot was granted on june 30th 1772 179 plots were granted in the first three years, but around this time Brunswick also lost most of its citizens, many of whom were loyalists, to East Florida, the Caribbean Basin, and the United Kingdom for protection during the American Revolutionary War. Most of the plots left behind were re-granted between 1783 and 1788, and the following year Brunswick was recognized as an official port of entry by the U.S. Congress. Over the next 72 years, the town saw much development, became officially incorporated as a city in 1856, and by 1860, Brunswick had a population of 468, a bank, a weekly newspaper, and a sawmill which employed nine workers. Brunswick was abandoned during the Civil War when citizens were ordered to evacuate, and the city, like many others in the South, suffered from post-war depression. Economic prosperity didn't return until one of the nation's largest lumber mills began operation on nearby St. Simons Island. A sawmill boom was stimulated when railroads were constructed from Brunswick to inland Georgia. Even though it seemed like Brunswick was headed for better days, the city wasn't out of the dark yet. In 1893, Brunswick was swept into the yellow fever epidemic. For those who aren't familiar, the symptoms of a mild case of this disease include fever, headache, chills, back pain, fatigue, loss of appetite, muscle pain, nausea, and vomiting, and if you're lucky, that's all. Many people at the time suffered a worse fate, falling ill to a second, more vicious phase where the fever was recurrent and inflicted severe liver damage and bleeding in the mouth, nose, and eyes, and gastrointestinal tract, which caused black vomit filled with blood. As if that wasn't enough, a hurricane the same year left the city under six feet of water. Only five short years later, a Category 4 hurricane ripped through Brunswick in October of 1898 with a 16-foot storm surge that killed 179 people. Even through a decade of tragedies, the city of Brunswick wouldn't be beat down so easily. Throughout history, Brunswick has served as a vital port city, most notably in World War II as a strategic military location. German U-boats threatened the coast of the southern United States, and blimps became a common sight as they patrolled the coastal areas. In August 1942, the United States Navy began building an air station on 2,400 acres in the northern part of the county and named it Brunswick Naval Air Station Glencoe. In 14 months, Workers at the new air station built two enormous wooden hangars to house an eight-ship fleet and provide maintenance for blimps from other bases. Capable of sustained flight and state-of-the-art electronic submarine detection, these blimps flew thousands of hours on coastal and maritime patrol, as well as convoy escort duty protecting vulnerable ships delivering essential war materials. This convoy escort program has often been cited as one of the most successful defense operations of the war. These blimps escorted almost 100,000 ships without a single vessel lost to enemy submarines. These unique landmarks saw the end of their usefulness and were subsequently demolished in 1971. Today, the site is known as the Brunswick-Golden Isles Airport. Aircraft weren't Brunswick's only contribution to war efforts during this time. After all, what could a port city be better for than building ships? During World War II, Brunswick boomed as people flooded to the city to fill the positions of over 16,000 workers that would produce 99 Liberty ships between 1943 and 1945. The first one took over 300 days to build, but after that, they were producing six at a time every couple months. The Liberty ships produced during World War II became a testament to the industrial production power of America. If you visit Mary Ross Waterfront Park in Brunswick's historic district, you'll find a small-scale replica of a Liberty ship, accompanied by a brief recount of their history and importance to the area. When the war ended and the efforts of the Liberty ships and naval blimps left Brunswick, the people stayed. Since then, the city has become a thriving tourist destination, overflowing with cultural significance to the over 16,000 estimated to call it home. Like any place, Brunswick has its share of interesting sights and old stories, one of which is a claim of fame to be in the site of the first-ever Brunswick stew, a tomato-based stew made with various vegetables and multiple types of meat, including corn, okra, lima beans, chicken, and pork, although originally it was made with squirrel and rabbit. The city is covered in beautifully historic and large southern live oak trees, the most famous of which is aptly named Lover's Oak, which legend says is a former meeting place for Native American lovers. This tree is estimated to be over 900 years old and has a trunk diameter of over 13 feet and as such has become quite a notable landmark in the old historic district. Unfortunately, there is also a notoriously darker side to Brunswick, one that has garnered media attention from many angles, included paranormal investigations of the Old City Hall, where police officer Robert L. Massey was shot on April 12, 1890. A man by the name of William Baldwin was charged and found guilty of disorderly conduct, at which time he was fined $2 in court costs. Baldwin refused to pay and attempted to leave the building, at which time Officer Massey put a hand on his shoulder to stop and arrest him. Baldwin turned and in an instant pulled a pistol from his vest and a shot rang through the courthouse, striking Officer Massey in his left side, and then fired again to hit him in the dead center of his back. A struggle ensued and eventually other officers were able to detain Baldwin, but Officer Massey fell victim to his injuries at a local hospital the next day. Since then, Many people have claimed to see the apparition of a neatly-dressed officer inside that old courthouse, still patrolling the tall wooden staircases and hallways to this day. Well, y'all, that about wraps up today's episode. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider checking out the Linktree link in the description of this episode. Just copy and paste it into your browser for links that allow you to offer support, give you additional places to listen to both this and future episodes, as well as a link to my Instagram profile, at Deeply Southern Podcast, where you can see pictures that go along with the stories from every episode. Thank y'all for joining me, and I hope to see you next time for part two in our mini-series on the Golden Isles, where we begin our adventure through the historical and spooky sides of St. Simon's Island.